Well, as you get ready for the word, you can open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Now, we're not going to get there real quick, but we will. That'll be the first passage we look at together. But we'll do a few things before we get to that passage. So when I was uh, in seminary, I worked for a man named Charles Paramore. And uh, we had a niche market of uh, building oil museums. And in doing that, we were creating a um, project for Kilgore, Texas, where the East Texas um, oil boom took place in 1929. And to do that, he, uh, in recreating that scene, there was, I was given the task of finding um, six mules somewhere in the country, finding a taxidermist who would create those six mules into the poses that we wanted them to have. And then we were going to set that up in the diorama that we would have there in Kilgore, Texas. The only problem was I had no idea where to find those six mules or what to do with them. So over the next uh, three months, I did absolutely nothing. I found no mules. I figured out how not to do anything. And I decided that maybe I should go in and talk to my boss, Charles, and tell him what I had not done. So I set things up and I went in and um, sat down with Charles. And I said, Charles, I want to let you know what has happened. I said, in the last three months, I have done nothing on this project. I don't know where to find the mules. I don't know how to um, get the mules to a taxidermist. And I have nothing done. And then I sat there for his reply. I don't know if you're ever in a situation like that. But all of a sudden you can imagine the potential of what was going to happen next. When all of a sudden you tell somebody that you did not do what you said you would do, that all of a sudden there could be these harsh words that come out of their mouth. In fact, the words I probably anticipated to hear from him were those two words that you've probably all thought I probably did hear from him. Actually, three words. It would have been, Mike, you're fired. You know, somehow when we come to conflict and difficult circumstances like that, what we expect is to hear harsh words. It's interesting. Proverbs even talks about it, but says it differently. Proverbs comes along and tells us that um, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. We're doing a study of the fruit of the Spirit. We've done love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and we're all the way down to gentleness. We start thinking of gentleness, it's just the opposite of harsh. When we say something harsh, we know, well, that's not gentle. Gentle comes in into something that where somebody's a, a little more considerate. It's where they show probably sort of a courtesy to us of how they respond. There's a real kindness in their voice and a tone that they may have. And, and gentleness becomes an important thing to have. In fact, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, the idea is like, you know what? Gentleness should be something that's just characteristic of your life on a daily basis. And that's what we should anticipate. But when we come to the New Testament, it says, we, we know that might be true of the fruit of the Spirit, but let me tell you when it's really important for you to have gentleness. And essentially, the New Testament tells us there's four times, very, very specific times, when we need to pull back and realize, I need to show gentleness in this situation. Now, keep in mind, it implies you got to be gentle all the time. But when these four situations arise, you need to pause and say, I need the fruit of the Spirit, and gentleness needs to play out. And the first one here is in Galatians 6.1. It 
Here's what he says. Brother, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When do we need to have this gentleness? When we see a brother or a sister in sin or trespass. And you watch that happening, you decide, you know what, I need to talk to them about this. And when you get ready to talk to them, you need a spirit of gentleness to carry on that conversation. Somebody who finds himself sinning, somebody in that trespass, somebody not following Christ, that brother, that sister, you pause and you know you need to talk to them. And, he said, and Paul is saying, listen, when you do that, let me remind you, you do it with a spirit of gentleness, not being harsh. Give you a second one that he tells us about. Turn to 2 Timothy 2, 24. He's going to give a second situation when all of a sudden you need gentleness on your mind. Thinking in these terms. 2 Timothy 2, 24. Now the first one we talked about is when a brother or a sister is caught in a sin. This one turns it a little bit differently. It says when you're correcting an opponent... Here's how it's written. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, and correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now this creates a little different picture. They're not just saying, this is actually somebody who's in opposition to you. Uh, They're an opponent. They're somehow not agreeing with you on things. And when all of a sudden you find that taking place, our tendency may be to raise our voice, to speak more harshly to them. And he says, wait a second. When you start dealing with an opponent who's in a big debate with you like that, it's a time you need a spirit of gentleness to bring a change there. I'll give you a third one. Third one we find in 1 Peter 3.15. This shifts a different perspective as well. We've seen one of correcting a brother or sister. We've seen one with an opponent. This one brings somebody else when it comes to the gospel and how you defend the gospel. 1 Peter 3, 15 reads this way. But but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense. That's an apologetic to defend the faith. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet... Do it with gentleness and respect. So this identifies when you do your evangelism. You're sharing Christ with a neighbor. You're talking with a family member who doesn't know Christ. And all of a sudden you're getting to the place where you're trying to defend. You're apologetic. Why you believe what you believe. And your voice is getting a little louder. Your voice is getting a little tenser. And all of a sudden Peter said, whoa, 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 whoa. In those conversations, when you're defending the faith... Make sure you pause and make sure there's gentleness in your voice when you're carrying on that defense with a brother who sins, with opponent who's in opposition when it comes to defending the gospel. There's a fourth one. This is James chapter 121. And shifts just the whole thing away to actually how your heart is being prepared. Here's what it says. James 1, verse 21. 
Therefore, putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and to receive with meekness, that's the SV, the same word's gentleness there. Receive with meekness or gentleness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that's an important one to pay attention to. It says when we find ourselves at any time opening the word of God, our hearts need to be prepared to hear the word. It says we put away all filthiness. There's somehow this sense of awareness where our heart's at, that somehow to hear the word, our heart needs to be prepared. It says, well, the first thing you're gonna do is get rid of all filthiness, but it goes on and says, listen, if you wanna hear the word to impact your heart, to renew your mind, you're gonna have to receive it with gentleness, with meekness, with this heart very waiting in a very caring, responsive way to what the word has to say. Why? Because we don't always like what the word has to say. This means when I get up in the morning or the evening, whenever you read your Bible, whenever you have your quiet time, your devotion, whatever you want to call it, when you break that book open, there's some preparation work you have to do. It's not just start studying, making sure your heart's right. When you come to church on a Sunday, before you hear the preaching of the word, you know how you get done after the preaching of the word. You don't always agree with what the word has been preached. Our hearts need to be prepared for the preaching of the word. When you get together in your community group and all of a sudden you say, let's turn to our Bibles, your heart needs to be prepared for the gentleness to receive the word. How do I know this? Because I don't always approach the word with gentleness because I don't like what it tells me to do. Mike, you need to change. Mike, you need to confess. Mike, you need to correct. Ah, Lord. I don't want to hear this. And our hearts need to be prepared, prepared to hear the word. Now, those are the occasions. Those are when we need gentleness. But why gentleness? We're going to go back to a couple of other passages we saw. There's a purpose in having gentleness in your heart. Let's go back to Galatians 6.1. This is why you need gentleness. Remember that verse? It's to restore. It was the idea to correct a brother when you see a brother in sin or a sister in sin or in a trespass. Here's what it said. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should, what is it? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It says, Listen, if a brother or sister is walking along and they're off the path, you want to restore them back to the path. How are you going to do that? You're going to yank them over and throw them in? It's like, no, 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 no. It's with a spirit of gentleness you guide them back and restore them to what they were doing. So why do we have gentleness? It's so that we can restore people back into their walk with Christ. There's a second one. Take a look. Let's turn to Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. This one gets a little broader. We take a brother or sister and also we restore them back in their walk with Christ. This is going to talk about the unity that we have and the peace we need to maintain. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is, listen, when all of a sudden you start thinking about gentleness, what we need to know in all of our relationships, 
Tensions can arise, conflicts can arise, and we need to all of a sudden maintain gentleness. Why? To all of a sudden create and maintain the unity and the peace that we have. And he's talking about within the church itself. We all know there's little things. When I say little, when somebody else hears it, really? But we know personally there's been little things in our life in the church. Things that people have done. Things that people have said. Even how they've done something. That we find that tension when we sit down in a room with them. We feel the tension already when they arrive. And all of a sudden, Paul's saying, listen, there's a response where we have to maintain unity and create peace in the church, in our relationships with one another, in our marriages, with our kids, with our families. The whole idea of creating peace and unity. That's why we have gentleness to bring things together. One final passage, back in 2 Timothy 2.24. We'll go back to that when we get the third one. And this is the one that dealt with the whole idea when um, you're dealing with opponents. Paul writes this. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? That God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Here's what he wants us to understand. That all of a sudden our relationship with other people, when you've got somebody in opposition to you, your real goal is that all of a sudden they can find themselves in repentance coming back into relationship with the Lord. And the way that happens is, not by being harsh with them, but he's saying with gentleness, you turn that opponent around as they turn around, they come back, if the Lord permits, into a relationship with him. What a great opportunity we have with the gospel and the good news of God. That all of a sudden we have people who are in opposition. Who because of our gentleness, our gentleness, find themselves turning. And in repentance, coming to the Lord. Now as we've got those in play, I want to give you a snapshot of Jesus. Where Jesus finds himself actually employing gentleness in a relationship. And to see the impact it has on what takes place. So turn to John chapter 4 with me. John chapter 4. And this deals with the Samaritan woman. And at the well. John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 7. To give a little context. And then down to verse 15 that we'll look at. It's introduced this way. So the situation is Jesus and the disciples are traveling through Samaria. While they're in Samaria, they're going to stop at a well. When they get to the well, Jesus sends the disciples into town for food. And Jesus is left there by himself. While he's there by himself, he's going to meet this Samaritan woman, as we call her. And she's going to show up on the place and he's going to have a conversation with her. And here's how it unfolds and takes place. Verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now drop down to verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water to drink, and I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, well, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, 
You have well said, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and your people say in Jerusalem is the place men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when, the, when that one comes, he should, will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who you speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he'd been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with him? In this story, several things take place. The woman talks to Jesus. They have this interaction about worship. They have this interaction about the gospel. You have the interaction, even the disciples' response to the whole story. But here's some things to understand. We're seeing here where Jesus is going to be dealing with what we would call the hot buttons of life. The first one he deals with is a race or ethnic issue. He's got the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a Jew. Now, Samaritan is made up of Jewish and Gentile descent. So they're not truly all Jewish. And the Jewish people and the Samaritans do not get along. In fact, they hate each other. And in the process of this, Jesus is coming into this relationship of race or ethnicity, and all of a sudden he deals with her in a gentle way. Uh, There's another hot button here. That deals with the whole idea that he's got the hot button that deals with politics. He's dealing with the Samaritan people who have their own form of government, but they think when you think of the government of this time period, think of theocracy. That means God is ruling them. And they both are worshiping differently, thinking the God, their God is the one in charge of their life and world. And this is a political issue. They got a religious issue. Where are you supposed to worship? In Jerusalem or in Samaria? And they're debating a hot point of religion of the right place to be and who is their God. They've got a debate about the gospel. Because Jesus is sharing with her the gospel and who the Messiah. And she does agree there's got to be a Messiah. And he says, I am he. They've got a gender issue. The disciples come back and say, you were talking to who? A, a woman? And they morally was talking to a woman. And you got the hot button of sin where Jesus says to her, bring your husband here. And Jesus takes all these hot button topics and somehow in this conversation with her brings gentleness, gentleness into each one. You know what the response is? This woman who's been opposed to him in all those areas, out of gentleness, she finds her heart being turned in repentance. She goes back into the town, tells all the people in Sychar she's found the Messiah and brings the other people out that they can believe in him too. Jesus' gentleness in all those hot button topics 
turns and brings her into repentance, into relationship with him. The power, the power of gentleness. We think of gentleness, I think our problem is we start thinking of the hearts of people. And I think our tendency is to think a person's heart is like an apple. And I, so some of you could put this apple in your hand, you could crush it. I do not have that ability. So I can crush this, I can, I can push on as hard as I want. You know what, I cannot crush this apple or hurt it at all. I don't even have to be gentle with this because I cannot hurt it at all. But that's not the problem. Our problem is our hearts are more like tomatoes. And when you start squishing a tomato, you can crush a tomato. And you can crush somebody's heart when you are not gentle. Gentleness. Gentleness is intentionally caring for a person's heart and dealing with the everyday tensions and conflicts of life. So sitting there in my boss's office, Charles looked at me, Christian man, and said, Mike, I took that project away from you two months ago. I've been waiting for you to come and talk to me about it. It's like three months, I did nothing. And then he said, you know, Mike, you are never gonna make it in the pastorate if you don't learn how to finish projects. And then he took me from that point on and coached me in a personal relationship on finishing projects as he gently in all gentleness, corrected me in what I had done. You know, folks, we all face these tensions and these hot buttons, and we're all dealing with conflict and the need for gentleness. There's no question about in the time that we live that we need to see gentleness on a daily basis. And we're wrestling with the issues that Jesus dealt with. Whether we're going to talk about race, we're going to talk about politics, we want to talk about religion, we want to talk about gender, you want to talk about sin, take all of those together. And what we find from Jesus that we need is gentleness. And how is gentleness shown? It's one with our words. The very words that we use can be harsh or gentle. It can be the tone of voice that we have. Because somebody can say, quote, the right words in the wrong way. And we know they really were harsh. Though they said they were gentle. It's also how we touch. How many times you may as a parent, especially out in public, when one of your kids is not behaving as you want, and instead of gently going for them by hand, you grab them and yank them, and sometimes even smack them instead of being gentle. And then surprised, surprised that it doesn't correct their behavior. We need gentleness 
in the hot buttons of life. And all you have to do is go on social media. All you have to do is watch the advertisements now and you will see the hot buttons and the harshness that you can read every day on your own Facebook, on your own social media, people posting, maybe you're posting, ads on television, the harshness that is given that will not maintain unity, will not create peace, will not bring repentance, and will not restore someone to Christ. But you know, it's more than the hot buttons. We have daily tensions that we're dealing with and how we deal with those as well. I want to think you through how you deal with finances in your home. When all of a sudden the budget isn't going the way you were planning. Where all of a sudden somebody spent money they shouldn't have spent. When all of a sudden there's something that goes awry with the finances in the home. And out of your frustration, disappointment. Is there harshness? Or is there gentleness? As couples think about their marital intimacy. Frustration there, disappointments, difficult things to talk about. When all of a sudden you're exposing your heart to your spouse, trying to connect and think through that piece of your life. But somebody says something harsh. Somebody says something painful. And it crushes your heart. With no desire to develop that intimacy, it actually drives you apart. How about when you're teaching something, somebody something new and you've got the skill to do it and you are so good at it and that other person just can't get it down? Trust me, anybody who's teaching me a new program of how to use on my computer has learned I do not know how to do it and I can test their gentleness very quickly, very easily because I don't know what to do. But how do you respond when people are unable, when they don't have the skills, where they seem to be incompetent? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying be negligent. I'm not saying don't do anything. But keep in mind what the scripture is saying. There's times you need to show gentleness or you're going to crush their heart and you will not restore them. You will not correct them. There will not be repentance. You will not find there's unity. You will not find that there's peace. Because you've crushed their heart. Proverbs does say it so well. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up strife. As we go forward, let's be people who understand our gentleness is intentionally, intentionally caring for a person's heart, caring for their heart, so that we face daily tensions and the conflicts of life that they are cared for and not crushed. Let's close in prayer. Oh Lord, we give you thanks. Oh, so much thanks. For your gentle spirit towards us. 
that you're the God who's come into our lives, our Lord Jesus Christ, and you're the one who showed gentleness to the woman at the well, but even to us. And Lord, for each one of us here, let us explore our own hearts. Those tensions we may have in our marriage, tensions we may have with our kids, tensions with our students, tensions with somebody here in the church. Somehow we may find ourselves wrestling with those hot buttons, Lord, whatever it may be, that we find your spirit convicting us and cultivating in us that fruit of gentleness so that we may be able to restore some, bring repentance to others. And Lord, to see you work in a special way. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Well, as a church, we do practice the Lord's table on a regular basis. And as we do that, you'll find next to your chair, there'll be a cup on the floor there that you can take. And um, I think as we come to it today, it's just thinking through that uh, we practice an open Lord's table. That is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake. And uh, you don't have to be a member of our church. You could be just visiting today. But we invite you to join with us. But if you don't know Christ, we ask you not to partake. Because it says, when you do this, you're proclaiming the death of Christ until he comes. But today is also when we take to the Lord's table, it's a time of remembrance. It's remembering Christ and what he's done for us. I want you to remember that woman at the well, that Samaritan woman, and we were all like that, weren't we, at some time? Where Jesus came to us, came to us, and in his gentle spirit, brought us to himself. And we've trusted in Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. That invitation is for all of us today. If you're visiting with us today, or it's the first time you've been with us, or online or whatever it may be, and your sense is, boy, I hear this, but I'm like that Samaritan woman. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm saying who Jesus Christ is. One, he died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day, which demonstrated he was God. And it identifies we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So as you recognize that you're a sinner, Christ paid for those sins, you place your faith in him, by placing your faith in him, you believe in him, then you have that eternal life, that promise of forgiveness of sin. And we invite you to partake. So as we partake today, let's have a time of silent prayer. One of giving thanks, remembering Christ, but two, preparing your hearts. Sort of like for the word. If there's any filthiness there, there's a need to confess that. If you weren't gentle this morning when you should have been, confess that. Or in the past week, if there was some gentleness, you go, oh, I need to talk to them. You can confess that too. And then we'll partake together. Let's go to silent prayer.